0: This is a special episode. We are here today to talk about movies that we grew up with that we rewatched for the podcast, but we didn't really need to. Uh, Ghostbusters and its sequel, Ghostbusters 2. I mean, a big part of our childhood. Mm-hmm. And uh, movies that have been covered to death. I'm not sure that we're going to bring anything original to these movies but we're still talking about them Uh, partially so that we can get to the more interesting conversation about whether or not afterlife is a good sequel we'll be doing that
1: next episode i like talking about ghostbusters 2 and getting people riled up about that uh, that's where that's where my it's uh, not a good movie
0: but yeah it's a great movie Um, with some problems objectively bad
1: It's a great comedy, and that's why I don't understand why people are shit on it so much. It's got killer lines to it. A laugh every 10 seconds.
0: So there's lots of sequels. Like, we just covered this movie an episode or two ago. I don't know how many episodes ago. 2010, the sequel to 2001. And it is a great movie in its own right. And the biggest conversation about it is that it can never live up to the original. And people try to do that with Ghostbusters, too, like... It's good, but it can never be as great as the first one. And I'm just telling you, no. If Ghostbusters 2 came out in the place of the first Ghostbusters, this franchise would have never taken off. It would have been dead in the water. Well, that's basically what killed it for a third movie. Which I would have loved to have had when I was a kid. Yeah, third movie would have been awesome because as a kid I did love Ghostbusters too. It's just as the adults where I there's just so many I still I still love it and I don't and I
1: I never come back to it seeing anybody's opinion as accurate about how it's not a good movie. Like I come back to it and I go, like, what are they talking about? I don't understand.
0: Reading a little bit of the production notes about how how much this movie changed over the course of it being made i see that all over the movie Mm -hmm. like it is just a hodgepodge of ideas that don't come together well but we'll get to that all the plot points they all come together i think
1: people are angry about they didn't like all the plot points but never to me does it feel like it doesn't come together it's just if you don't like a painting as the main villain then you don't like the movie so all right let's talk about Ghostbusters. Yes. Ghostbusters. Let's do it.
0: Kind of a perfect movie. Thoughts.
1: Thoughts. Uh yeah. I mean these guys were my original superheroes. I loved the real Ghostbusters cartoon and then that translated to the love of the movie and also the sequel. But I had all the toys. It's funny to think that like 30-year-old dudes that were all chubby in their own right, like all out of shape. Uh, Balding. These were my guys. Like, these were my superheroes. It was pretty interesting that uh, th- those are the guys I fell in love with. But I would play with those toys just constantly. Um, and then I got supplanted by the Batman animated series figures that I started collecting in the 90s. And then comics came in. That it was more about Spider-Man and X-Men and Batman to me. I even remember uh, a vivid memory I have is my mom buying the I think it was the Ghostbusters 2 cereal sort of in like 89 but it came with a uh, a 45 inch record um, and it was Egon and he played it and he was saying something about it was some sort of like contest or whatever but I think it was Egon from the cartoon and how to like join this contest to win something or whatever maybe the Ghostbusters song was on it too but anyway but I just remember getting a 45 record in a box of cereal that's probably worth money now I think I looked it up on YouTube a couple years ago um, just to actually hear it I don't know where I don't have it anymore but which is weird for me because i i kept most of my stuff uh i gave all of my toys and everything to my kids now and uh i walk downstairs and there's just like a piece of an arm here and a leg there (laughs) they just kind of destroyed everything they're not as yeah they're not as into it that i was when i was a kid but i do find ghostbuster parts here and there in the base in the basement so it's kind of fun
0: to see again the
1: house the firehouse is still down there too
0: that's cool. Yeah. Going back to my original point, one of the most perfect comedies ever made. Well, what is your definition of perfect? The way the film is actually made, structurally, all together, it's damn near perfect. But do you agree or disagree? Like, are there any flaws
1: to this movie i don't think so i mean i like the way they put it together like we meet them they're a little old to be in college they're not They're work there they're not students i know but it just it always had that feel to it when i was a kid that they were kind of going to college and they were a little in between because they didn't act like professors they didn't act like they knew what the hell was going on they act very immature and like lost young men Which is, you know, a way to make a movie when you have Bill Murray as kind of an infantile, like, joke machine. Like, that works in a movie, so. Because, I mean, it's like they were coming off of stripes and meatballs. Ragtag juvenile delinquents, but a little older for their age. So that's, like, what Ghostbusters carried over. But then it also made them doctors, which I just thought was funny.
0: It's insane to me that Bill Murray was 34 when he made this movie. Like, this was a group of... So that means he was... 39 when he made Ghostbusters 2. Mm-hmm. They were our age. And that connects in a way that it hasn't connected before. I like that. I
1: always was astounded at watching and realizing that some of my favorite people when I was younger were in their thirties or forties. It was just very interesting to me because that just seems so ancient and yet you were watching you were watching them do things that just felt like that's what young people did like it was weird like the Seinfeld cast was all older but i would watch them and and it was just amazing to me that they were actually older you know i don't know
0: and then like cheers was the opposite way where you all imagined them to be old yeah and then it turned out they were actually
1: pretty young that was the 80s uh, 80s and 90s it was like you didn't have to like when you made a movie you didn't have to get a six pack you didn't have to get ripped to be in a movie now you have to right like, yeah. you could just show up on set <laughs> back in the day, be a little overweight, be a little balding, not that attractive. And that's Bill Murray, and that's Dan Aykroyd, and that's who they were start. I mean, look at, like, the music industry, for God's sakes. Like, Phil Collins, like, one of the last guys you would think would be, like, a superstar, was one, like, the top-selling artist, you know, for a number of years. And, like, that guy, like, you, you would not say that that, that- that's... The image of a of, of an idol a pop idol but he was and those were the guys um from Ghostbusters for sure
0: yeah Tom Petty was one of the ugliest men I've ever seen
1: <laughs> at least he life. had the hair though you know so it kind of felt rock starish. but yeah
0: I'm with you so yeah Bill Murray in this performance is legendary it I think without Bill Murray this movie wouldn't have been what it is he is also just a piece of everything working correctly and like Harold Ramis's Egon is perfect well you need the
1: brains he's the brains Dan Aykroyd is uh more of the excitable we can do this you know he's the uh the heart of the Ghostbusters as Venkman says uh later on in the movie and he's right like he's the guy that's excitable and has the childhood wonder behind everything Bill Murray like I feel like Venkman is there uh he's almost like an audience not a surrogate but he's telling the audience that like I know we're in bizarre territory here but we're just gonna have some fun with it and i'm just gonna fuck around and that's gonna make everything okay they get into money trouble well here comes Vankman to just say something witty and to laugh it off and that's how they get past it you know they get into this kind of trouble but here comes Vankman, you know with the epa and stuff or the mayor's office he just says something shitty or he says something ridiculous and that's how they get past their problem. So, like, that's his, that's Vankman's point at being in this movie. He's the one that just keeps the plot moving.
0: And I love that he constantly sends Ray to into danger. Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> it happens in part one and part so two. Funny. Hey, Ray, go take care of this, okay? And then Ray always does it. Yep. Ernie Hudson. Ernie feels like the audience surrogate where he's the normal totally. guy walking into this.
1: Yeah, and he brings the, he feels most New York to me. Blue collar, like he comes in because he needs a job and he's there to ground them into remembering what they do and why they do it. Uh, we can do anything. I don't know. That's always been like Winston's role to me. Like that's why I liked seeing him join that group.
0: I, it's just me as a smoker, but I love that they make them just smoking through the whole thing part of yeah. the deal.
1: And I always loved, like, anytime I, I've i said, like, you know, when I make a movie or that I want to make a movie, it's always like, I just want it to look like Ghostbusters. I just feel like the quality of the film they use, the grainy and that, the way New York looked in the 80s. Uh, all of the uh, browns and uh, tans and grays that they all wear throughout the movie and the smoking and just how dirty everything is like that to me is like the ultimate like I want
0: movies to look like that (laughs) like that's what I like to see there's a funny thing there they are dirty I'm staring at a picture of Bill Murray covered in gunk Mm -hmm. they're completely filthy and they're tired and they're exhausted by the end of this movie because they've been so busy. And then if you loop back to their first ghost that they Slimer in the hotel, do you remember how much they charged for Slimer? Like four thousand dollars, something like that. Five thousand dollars. Five. Yeah. Five thousand dollars. Right. And they are crazy busy. They're
1: rich. No, see here's <laughs> here's what I always read into that. Like reading about this movie for the podcast. There's so many wild conspiracy, not, not conspiracy theories, not even theories. It's just like people take what they want from this movie and that like what Aykroyd and Ramus were trying to say and how like it's it's a capitalist movie and how like it's all about the government can't handle anything. So like the private sector has to come in and solve the problem. Like that's all fine. You can read into that all you want. But they mentioned like that the ghost, if they're charging $5,000 for a service, uh it's only for the rich to use and they're the ultimate capitalists, and whatever the way it all, even as a kid, the way that said that to me is that they were broke. They needed money and the Sedgwick hotel was their victim. This time we're just going to say five grand and he's going to pay it. But when they go help out somebody else at their house, they're not charging that much. They only, he just made that number up to charge them so they could get a shitload of money from these rich people. That was it. That's how I always took it. Like, they're not charging $5,000 to Grandma Mabel when they go to her house and take care of her dead husband's ghost who's in the, in the basement or something like that.
0: I absolutely took it that way,
1: too. Yeah. 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 I just thought it was funny reading about, like, people are just like, how could they possibly afford to
0: get this service,
1: blah, blah, blah. And I was like, because Vankman's just making up the number with whatever he feels like they should pay.
0: Did you uh, read Ernie Hudson's essay on his experience with this movie?
1: I just read that he was a little disappointed because he had a, a bigger role, you know, when he, when he accepted it. But then in script rewrites... You know, he became more of what we see on screen, but that's that's all actors' complaint. He makes it very clear
0: that he is really happy with how it turned out. Sure, it's he a great movie. Kind of,
1: how could you not be happy yeah. with it?
0: Yeah, no, Ernie Hudson was very happy. He halved his rate, or he cut his rate in half to make it more him more hireable. He was originally going to be X. Was it? Ex Air Force or ex Navy a demolitions expert. Yeah. And I'm just so happy that they did not do that. Well, it's just one of those things that doesn't matter, right? I mean you cut
1: that out of the movie, it doesn't matter where he came from. Like he showing up and looking the way he does and acting the way he acts and then media getting the job. That's all you need to know about Winston. Is that he's there to work. He brings a, an interesting foil to the three guys that uh, are all in on this ghost business. Like he doesn't even care to be a believer. He just tells Janine like, "What? If there's a steady paycheck, I'll believe anything you say."
0: Yeah, he's one of my favorites.
1: Now, I would have liked to see the four of them bust ghosts a little more than just that quick montage. That would have been more exciting for me. That that way, I could have seen Winston in action. Because I really can't say that I kind of saw him in action like when does he actually use a proton pack other than the end like I don't know if he really does does he yeah no he doesn't have a lot of lines so that's unfortunate I don't care about the lions I would have just liked to see the four of them tackling ghost he wasn't even on the movie poster he was barely in the trailer and he you know he wasn't even on the sequel poster uh in every f- version either I think the, the one they used in America like the most famous of with the with the ghost of the two and then the four of them and uh and it was on the vhs cover and stuff like that like that was prominent he's on that but there's also versions of the sequel where he's not on that either and even when you read like the back of the dvd or when you read about you know like a summation of the movie anywhere sometimes they don't even mention winston they just talk about the four stars so i always felt for him in those instances but at the same time He's not a famous comedian from SNL or SCTV, so I understand why that happens.
0: Yeah, no, he's absolutely a supporting character, but people
1: take it like he's the black guy, so therefore it's it's um prejudice, it's racist that he's not included, you know. And I just don't think that's I don't think we need to go there with that. He's Ernie Hudson. He's not Bill Murray. He's not Dan Aykroyd. He's not Harold Ramis. He's not uh, Sigourney Weaver, and he's not Rick Moranis. Like those are well-known stars. It's unfortunate, <laughs> but that's just the way it is. Now, if Eddie Murphy was in the movie, he would have been. He would have had his name probably first, even over Bill Murray. I would say. Yeah, he he wasn't a huge
0: star, and I mean he never became a huge star. He's just always been a great supporting player. I
1: mean, I remember seeing him in The Crow, and that was like. A couple of years after Ghostbusters 2, and I was just like, oh my god, it's Winston. Like, I had not, he just disappeared. I didn't know where the hell he went. I never saw him in movies other than The Crow, and then I really can't say I can really think
0: of anything he's been in since then. I mean, ignoring race about it, I mean, this movie is stacked with quality actors in the main and supporting roles. Let's not forget, we have Annie Potts, who is, I love her. Mm-hmm. And this is my least favorite character of hers. But yeah, she's great. It's so funny
1: that like such a like she's so uh, attractive and yet she's so frumpy in this movie. Right. And then they like go overboard in the sequel and they make her like she uh, she started getting weird, you know, so then she's like a crazy weird chick in the sequel. But like never does it like show her like how beautiful she really is. You know, it's always like one in in between.
0: And that's why it's a fun play on it. This is the first time I saw it, so I had to Google it. I don't think I realized as a kid that we saw Sigourney Weaver's boob in this PG thir- or in this PG movie. Did we? Where? So when she's being, what's the word for being taken over by the dog? Yeah, when all the arms her. come and hold her down in the chair. Yeah, one of them grabs her chest. She, well, <laughs> yes, one does, but she grabs her own shirt in the struggle and totally pulls down her shirt and her boob pops out. It <laughs> pops out for literally a frame. I know. And I googled it that. and it's such a thing and like the comments and the googling was yeah, people notice this about 5 times a year. That's so funny. I've never noticed that. Yep, this was the first time I ever noticed wow. ever. Well, that's
1: not pornography, right? That's just like that's a literal struggle against a demon and that's
0: just what happens. So, I I would pass was that for PG. a PG movie. But I was still passive. Like I'm, you know, whatever. Why well, well, no? Because again, it took until I was forty to notice it. But yeah, uh, looking back, Sigourney Weaver is at her prime in the eighties. Like she is super, super hot in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I love Sigourney Weaver, and
1: uh, um, yeah, she's super attractive. Um, the funny thing is though, <laughs> is that she, my mom, looks a lot like her when she was younger. Like they kind of share a similar appearance. <laughs> Yeah, I knew you'd love that. So that's why I've always been a little on the, like, respectful side of talking about Sigourney Weaver. I'm like, well, she looks a lot like my... My mom looked a lot like her when she was younger. So, yes, she's a very attractive woman. But that's all I'm going to say.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You all heard it here first. Um, (laughs) So Rick Moranis is perfect in this movie. Um, He ad-libbed a lot of that. Mm -hmm. I
1: love it. Oh, my God, when he's given that party... And he's talking about buying the 600 milligrams of uh, whatever. And then he's talking about the Nova Scotia the salmon. Like, it's just, ah, man, I love to know that he just made that up. And the chick in that, did you read who that was? Yeah, she is, um, I knew her from the Cheers. Because she is uh, Nick Tortelli's, uh, Carla's ex-husband. She was his trophy wife. Who's, who's who's she married to again? I can't remember. Oh, uh, Casey Kasem. Uh,
0: yes, yeah, she's Casey, married to Casey Kasem's Kasem, wife. Yeah. He did a voice only part. Yes, so. he did. Um Ron Jeremy and Debbie Gibson are in there somewhere. They didn't really give any specifics
1: about who they were. It just I think Ron said he was just like an extra or something.
0: I didn't notice Reginald Vel Johnson. Really? He was the cop. When he he goes uh
1: Ghostbusters, the mayor wants to see you. Really? Yeah, when they're in prison or when they're in jail and they're going over the blueprints. The whole the whole island's going crazy or something. That's what he says. That was him. Yeah.
0: That No. Yeah. That's great. And
1: then in the sequel, similar to Val Johnson's just cameo appearance, like Ben Stein has a quick role. Uh, What's his name who just died? He's like the police chief or the fire chief or something like that in the sequel. Paul Thomas Anderson's guy that was always working with him. What's his name? He's got three names. You know what I'm talking about.
0: No, I know exactly who you're talking about. Um,
1: Philip Baker Hall. But yeah, these movies have always attracted tiny cameos from people.
0: Brian Doyle Murray? Yeah, that's Bill's. Anyway, Bill's brother. I like that he's got a hyphenated name. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah. So, Ghostbusters. We all kind of know this plot. There's a building. We all know this plot because of the movie Ghostbusters Afterlife. Really filled in a lot of the gaps for us. And we really appreciate that it <laughs> did didn't that. We didn't need any of that. Um, we, we understand Ghostbusters is,
1: perfectly fine without it. No,
0: no, we didn't. We oh, needed all of that info. It was very necessary. No. <laughs> An occultist built a building in New York to channel the energy of the universe or the undead or something whatever like to help bring a godlike creature back to earth that can come back every what did they say in afterlife I every don't 40 50 years <laughs> 60 something <laughs> I have no idea um as long as the conditions are right yeah. and he made sure that the conditions would be right because he was a follower to bring about um, the apocalypse yeah and that bad guy is named evo shandor no that's the cultist. He's gozer. Yeah, gozer. And his Sumerian. followers are Zool and the really funny one uh Vin's, Vin's. torso Glorfo. Glortho. Glortho. Tor- Chlortho.
1: Now, how come Zool doesn't have a last name? Uh, like, what is Zool's last name? What do you think Zool's I would last name is? guess Doyle
0: Murray. <laughs> I would guess that Zool's last name was Robin. I got nothing. <laughs> Robinson. Got nothing probably. Yeah. Robinson. Yeah. And yeah. for some reason they become a dog. I think the idea is supposed to be as the time comes closer for the return of this person, the walls between the dead and the undead weaken and ghosts are sta- are able to start leaking through. Mm-hmm. And that's how Zool and Vins are able to come through and... They possess two people that are nearby, mm-hmm. Rick Moranis and Sigourney Weaver. Yep. Dana and, and Lewis. Together, they're ob- able to open the gate and bring Gozer back.
1: That's all you need to know.
0: Yeah. So the Ghostbusters are out fighting ghosts. And so, in reality, these guys have always just been occultists studying it at the university. They're a joke. It's just lucky. Right at the moment when they're about to fail, the ghosts start bleeding through because of Gozer. And let me tell you something. This is why
1: Ghostbusters 2 is not canon in Afterlife anymore. Because there was a purpose there were so many ghosts around New York. And once they stopped Gozer from reentering, they just had some cleanup to do. That's probably what kept them going for a couple more months. And that's why the business fell apart, because they didn't have any more ghosts to catch. So Ghostbusters 2 does not take place anymore, will, according to Afterlife. According to the director, it does, but we will I know, talk about he's this. he's just saying
0: that because he doesn't after. want to piss people off. <laughs> no, he made a point of being like, oh, it's... He did, and anyway, then he just brought up episode. the Easter
1: eggs. That's all he did. He... But you can Easter egg anything you want. That's fine point for later. He didn't say it like that. You said he said it like that, and then I read it, and I didn't read it that way. He didn't exactly say it like that.
0: So, the Ghostbusters get lucky that this is all happening. They're able to start their business, they're fighting ghosts. Venkman is his own worst enemy by pissing off the EPA. Like, all this happens because of Venkman, and I appreciate that. But also, like, Peck uh, seems
1: to have a real. Like, he's out for them. Like, he does not believe them. And it's not just because of Vankman. Like, he comes with a shitty attitude. Like, he thinks they're con men, well, it- and he wants to prove it. And it just helped him along that Vankman was a dick to him. So then he could kind of take legal action. Yeah, he's not a great guy. He's just doing his job, but he's just too hes just too much. He's too much in that job. He comes in, guns blazing, shut it down and everything. Like, it's just kind of bullshit.
0: So the EPA effectively shuts them down. and They get exposed arrested because when they shut them down they let out a bunch of ghosts and the building's roof gets blown off yeah everybody they everyone they caught right yeah so it's like that just helped them out if they could still catch ghosts and they're back in business so they get arrested (laughs) the time is aligning with gozer's return so the city just starts going to hell because gozer is coming and in the meantime i mean i it's so funny not seeing the sexuality when we're kids when Dana is what's the word for possessed? Possessed. When Dana's possessed, <laughs> yeah, like she says some very sexual things to Billy. Oh yeah, Mary. for sure. And and there's all the funny j- him joking about whether or not he should do it. Oh, I guess I should Wouldn't. But then, so Dana and what's his name? Lewis. Dana and Lewis finally get together, and it's very clear that them banging is what's opening the gate. <sighs> yeah. So they definitely possible. had sex. It's possible, yeah. Oh come on, his pants were undone
1: when they got off of the altar. Uh, one of my favorite scenes is yeah. uh, when they go to the mayor because we, we were talking about it's best to show instead of and best to show instead of tell in movies, right? There is so little dialogue in that scene that has anything to do with what they're with what they're trying to get. Like they're trying to convince the mayor to let them do what they do, and it's really just jokey dialogue throwing things back and forth peck's there and bill murray has something to to say about him the cardinal comes in and thank calls him mike and just in that quick scene they convince the mayor to let them do it and i just love that scene it's just like an incredibly well-written scene in my opinion just let bill murray be funny and we can move along and it just works really well
0: so there's a great piece of dialogue that i picked up on the for the first time where vince clortho Louis as Vince Clortho is telling Egon about Gozer because that's the fun part is he is a devoted disciple that Gozer has kept with him essentially like that whole concept. He's like his Renfield to Dracula. Yeah it's just that concept of worshiping a god and then the god actually being like you know what you've been a great follower you're coming with me so he's telling him about all these times that gozer would come and destroy the world he just did such a great job with that scene because he was hes so excited about it he's so excited (laughs) about a nerd trying to
1: explain his comic collection or something to to him.
0: yeah and he's just like and then gozer always lets the people that are going to be killed choose his form so this one time he appeared as this yeah and it was Oh, they ruined the date. Yeah. He I came I as a giant slower. So Gozer comes. He gives the Ghostbusters that choice like he gives every other place that he destroys. Choose the form of your destructor. Right. What I'm going to appear physically as and we get the famous scene of a giant marshmallow man. Because and I didn't Ray always connect that loved, stay until this marshmallows, rewatch. Yeah. That that was Gozer. Like In my mind it was a monster that Gozer made that he made to attack him right when it was actually
1: gozer i mean the scene works so well cuz it's so comedic and yet so terrifying in its in its absurdity but like what is that thing going to actually do i mean it's slow it's it's big i mean is it just going to like knock some things down i mean it just seems like the army could have taken it down eventually cuz you can set it yeah. on
0: fire obviously yeah <laughs> and so the ghostbusters very simply what did they do they cross their streams. Yeah, something about out. if
1: they put enough energy into the gate, they can close it. It's like a. You know, Sci-fi it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It doesn't have to make any. And sense. And it doesn't need to. Right. Yep. So does that mean they
0: destroyed Gozer, or do they just send Gozer back? That's why it explodes. They reverse the gate, sucking everything back into the gate in their vicinity, so the Stay Puffed explodes because whatever goes or is is gone i feel like
1: all they really did was put so much energy into it that it closed the gate and that's it but for the movie's sake let's have it explode but it really doesn't make any sense why it would explode it's just a nice set piece and that's how you get rid of the state puff monster that's it if you take it apart yeah. you realize it makes no sense but it's fine because it's that kind of movie it's a comedy we're having a good time Something's got to resolve this, and they close the gate. That's all that matters.
0: See, that one's not as bad because it's believable. It's believable that they reverse whatever they said. It's believable that that's what happened. Totally, why not? And it doesn't pull the audience out of it.
1: And you already believe that the proton packs are so dangerous. So you're okay with them, like this ultimate plan we have to cross this we have to put it all together and then you're just like oh that could mean their death you know they could sacrifice themselves like so you get that as a viewer and it's nuclear for god's sakes when you throw the nuclear thing in there it's like ooh, that's dangerous
0: it was good it was good ah so yeah big hit big hit cost like 20 30 million to make brought in like 280 like which in 84 is a huge amount of money i think like, they it's said like, jaws level but it's like
1: 600 million something like that you know compared to today yeah 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 something like that six or seven a
0: lot it's up there after that movie bill murray quits acting
1: yeah i that was a surprise to me because i do remember going to see a movie of his in the 90s uh the man who knew too little do you remember that yeah yeah i remember we saw that together i love that movie and i just remember feeling like oh yeah bill murray like he doesn't really do much does he you know but he had done groundhog day of course and uh um, oh, yeah. Scrooge. So those were probably his two high profile ones between Ghostbusters and when Rushmore came out and he got he became this new kind of actor where like he was sought after as like he's going to win an Oscar was... soon. Yeah.
0: But it was between yeah, Rushmore, Rushmore was his relaunch.
1: Exactly. So I do remember feeling like he was just one of those actors we loved
0: but he just wasn't doing much. That was what you would call his third act. So uh he quits acting in 84 basically after ghostbusters to make sure that he did ghostbusters the studio greenlit one of his passion projects the razor's edge that saw. was a big bomb and then he doesn't really come back until scrooged in 88 they were going to make ghostbusters 2 a little sooner but Scrooge was mm. a sc- scheduling conflict
1: you know what that really tells me about murray is that I don't think he was really into it. Like, I don't think he thought this is what his life was supposed to be. I think he enjoyed working on Ghostbusters with everybody because they were friends. And it turned out he gave an A-plus performance. And I think that might have even been a surprise to him how much people liked it. Because he does kind of just feel like a slacker in the movie. Like, he's just kind of having fun. Like, he's not really putting much work into it. But it just worked so well that now they wanted to make him the star. But I really don't think he was, like, ever thinking that's what his life was going to be. And then he needed to, like, maybe come to terms with that when they were, like, wanted him to do Scrooge. And they're like, no, 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 listen, you're going to be a lead actor, all right? You got to come to terms with that.
0: And then he was like, oh, okay. So then he came back. Well, I think... Nobody talks about it because they love Bill Murray, but I think Bill Murray has always had an ego. Bill Murray has always been very clear about how he's going to take care of himself.
1: Yeah. And also like, I don't believe he's ever had an agent or a manager. He has famously a 1-800 number.
0: No, like back then he had an agent. I don't know if he does now.
1: Gotcha. But people can just leave messages and then he can just decide if he wants to call you back or not. And that was even for the original Ghostbusters because right they said Reitman brought him to set the first day. They didn't even know if he'd read the script. They didn't have anything signed.
0: And he famously just didn't want to sign things. I'm seeing that he demanded... Ten million for Ghostbusters two initially. Well, why not? <laughs> and after that, yeah, it does feel like he disappears in the '90s. But we have what about Bob in '91, Groundhog Day in '93, Mad Dog and Glory, which I've never seen. That's an interesting movie because he plays
1: against type. Him and De Niro play against type. Like De Niro plays the straight man, and Bill Murray plays the gangster. Really? But it didn't. I don't think anybody really cared
0: about it. In 94, we had Ed Wood. I love Ed Wood, but he's a great supporting character in that. Uh, In 96, we have Kingpin, Larger Life, and Space Jam. In 97, we have The Man Who Knew Too Little. And then in 98, we have Rushmore. There's no gap. We always think there's a gap, and there's none. Like, in 2000, he's Charlie's Angels. Uh, There's no gap, but you know
1: what Rushmore also did is that Rushmore made him a romantic lead as well. And I think that was a, a big point in him coming back as a lead actor because nobody did that with him and since i think Groundhog day really it was like they were just using him as funny man bill murray since groundhog day so he had a good five or six years there where he was just a nice supporting character but in rushmore they made him a romantic rival to what's his name right a comedic romantic rival to a child but still it made him like a real man in the movie like somebody that that loved and sought after but was damaged and 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 that's really what awakened people's image of Bill Murray I think and then Lost in Translation I think also kicked that up and then that's the Bill Murray we have to this day Yeah
0: Lost in Translation really yeah but what a run Rushmore, Charlie... Okay, Charlie's Angels. I mean,
1: the guy really hasn't made bad movies. Hardly ever. There might be a
0: couple in there. But really, for the most part, oh, there's, they're perfectly fine. There's definitely some b- bad ones. What's Royal bad? Tenenbaums, Lost in Translation, uh, Garfield the movie, Okay, Life Garfield's Aquatic. I love, I love that he did Garfield and Life Aquatic in the same year. Broken Flowers is supposed to be great. I love Broken Flowers.
1: I've never seen it. I've never seen Yeah, I've saw that one. That was really good. I
0: own that one. Because I like Dramish. He... Did the Garfield sequel. It was the only movie he did that year. Darjeeling Limited. Interesting. Bill Murray's in Ant Man and the Wasp Quantumania? Yes. I heard he was going to be in that new one. Weird. Anyway, yeah, Bill Murray's great. So he quits acting. He comes back. They sit down and they. Because this has the same kind of rights deal as Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones, we have Spielberg, Lucas, and Ford all have to sign off. For it to be a go. And with this, it's Reitman, Ramus, Aykroyd, and Murray. Yeah. All four of them have to sign off. (laughs) But not Hudson. (laughs) But not Hudson. He's always getting kicked Um, out, isn't he? So they all had they all sat down, they agreed to do it. Mostly because they had so much fun making the first one. Murray and Ramis work on a script. See, I wasn't reading this at all. Like what I the way I read it is that they were still very
1: surprised that they had to make a sequel. That's how I was reading it. And I'm just like, what are you talking about? And it was a different age than it is today where everything's sequelized. It's fine. It's franchise. Everybody expects it. But even in the 80s and especially 89, I think they said 89 more sequels came out that year than any year previous, right? Yeah. So it shouldn't have been too much of a shock, but say they're working on this in like 87, 88 or whatever. But it made a shitload of money and Columbia Pictures is like, we want a sequel. Come on. But none of them wanted to do it. Murray absolutely didn't want to do it. He thought it was lightning in a bottle the first time. Didn't understand why he had to do another one. So immediately, Ghostbusters 2 starts with them. Nobody wanting to get involved. But they're like pushed into it. So that's how the beginning starts. And that's why I just feel like there's a lot of negative negativity toward the sequel. Because everybody knew the, knew the behind the scenes where like none of them wanted to do it.
0: Well, I think it comes from the bad
1: movie, but... Let's talk about Ghostbusters 2. Why do you yeah. think it's bad, I guess? Like what, what
0: bothers you about it? There's a lot of logic cool weirdness they do a lot of the thing where we don't really have to explain that the audience is gonna just love it they're gonna eat it up you know what the audience did kind of love it and eat it up and 10 year old me loved it and ate it up because don't you love the characters like i was happy to see them
1: again like i loved ray and i loved winston and i loved egon and i loved bill i was even happy to see dana And Lewis is in there, like, and Janine. And they changed a little bit of things to make it more like the cartoon, which was a big hit. So, like, Janine has her crazy look going on, and that's fitting with Janine in the cartoon. Slimer's back, a little more friendly this time. That has something to do with the cartoon as well. They made it a little more family-friendly. But at the same time, even doing the family-friendly thing, they just kept it about these middle-aged dudes who are uh, not your average superheroes, but they're going out there and they're trying to solve ghost problems for a friend of theirs. So I was all about it immediately. It made sense to me. And I love the fact that after the events of Ghostbusters, everything went to shit. They had no more ghosts to catch, number one. But they got sued by everybody because that's the real world that's what happens even though they save the world nobody cares the government sued him anyways because they blew the tops off the uh, the blew the top off the skyscraper basically put them out of business and there's like a restraining order against them using any of the equipment so they're just doing kids parties which is hilarious to me in his time off from Aykroyd's occult yeah uh raise a call so he started a book store that is focused on the occult because that's really what dan Aykroyd loves he loves ghosts and all that crazy shit which so we see in afterlife that he's he still working there sure but you don't need the sequel movie to then say in afterlife he just started a bookstore like that doesn't make a whole movie canon just for him to be working at a bookstore now that's all when I'm it's
0: saying. the same bookstore it does
1: it's called an easter egg it's called an easter egg not canon and the dancing toaster it's called an easter egg okay it's that doesn't canon, count right? yeah Stuff, you know what I mean? Who cares that it's Raise a Call? Like he started Raise a Call. You don't need another movie to say he did that. He could have done that in between movies, no matter what. Anyway, too bad he did. I love that. I love that Egon goes back to work as a scientist because that's what he does. He's working on um, the relation between your environment and uh, negative feelings and how that impacts each other. So that's immediately makes sense to the plot of the movie. And they also, uh, New York in the 80s was a very dangerous time and a lot of people didn't like it even though the way I saw New York as eighties was a pretty cool place because of Ghostbusters. So that's what they were saying that there was so much negativity in the city that it was causing this um, physical manifestation of evil and that's where the slime comes from. And the slime is big too because slime is big in the cartoon. They got to put slime in the sequel. All these things made a lot of sense to me. And that's where we get going. Now, I think people don't like the movie because a admittedly painting doesn't seem that Dangerous and the Statue of Liberty is a complete ripoff of the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. So, those two things I didn't really care for either, but it didn't make the movie not work. Like, it all made sense in that there was a river of slime built off evil, and it took the city coming together at the end to help
0: the Ghostbusters save their friend. The enemy of the movie is a river of slime, and for some reason, it's the physical formation of negativity. So why do ghosts come out of it? Well, now I feel like they came up with Vigo to
1: help the ghost thing. Like he's an evil creature that has powers. He was using the slime that was manifesting itself with the evil and that's what would
0: help the ghost come out is because he has these powers as a magician. In my opinion, Vigo was a ghost wizard living in a painting. When they brought him up to work on him, he wakes up. And there's this existing slime, and he does manipulate it. But I think the two of them are separate from each other. I think the slime would be there without Vigo being brought up to have worked on. It's
1: just the same thing as why does Gozer come back and create
0: ghosts? Every 16 years, no. He weakens the wall... And, I know,
1: and we talked about this before. These ghosts are not the... Generally, they're not the ghosts of dead people. They're just demons from hell or wherever they're from. They're not people that died and then came back. Very rarely are they treated that way in either of these movies, uh, in all three of these movies. Egon is one of, them, one of the only ghosts you'll ever see in a Ghostbuster movie. Uh, the woman who's the libra- or who's in the library at the very beginning That's one of the only ghosts you'll ever
0: see. And even she transforms into a demon. That's the way I've always taken it. See, I've never taken it as demons. I take it as your soul continues to rot and that you start to become less and less human over time. So eventually, Egon's ghost will become a Slimer. You can think of it that way, but that is not what the movie shows you. Yeah, it does. (laughs) That's exactly
1: what it tells me. It doesn't. It's just because you have special effects guys that want to make creature designs. They're not inhibited by the fact that they have to be humans or anything like that. They're just
0: making fun demons. They are making fun ghosts. I will do not agree with your demon- Theory the the giant ghost that's like in the
1: whatever that thing's called that big oh yeah um, statue like that was a human that was somebody's grandpa yeah why not <laughs> bullshit a uh, woman's fur coat that comes to life with all of the well that yeah those little clearly those things coming that back was to life. a human that was where oh animals. so now that
0: so now animals have ghost souls yeah apparently animals have ghost souls <laughs> they're just demons <laughs> it's not that's terrible um the statue of liberty part is complete nonsense so nonsense but the idea behind it works for me is that they needed a symbol no to get the city See, to rally that around. doesn't work for me either if i saw a giant statue walking down the street i wouldn't be cheering I would be running for my goddamn life. Somehow they cordoned off the streets and they treated it like a parade. The whole premise is that brings out such positivity in the people of New York that it is able to overcome the negativity of the slime, which for some reason is powering Vigo, which is completely separate from him. He takes advantage of the slime. He uses it; it is
1: using him. Like that's they become a symbiotic relationship. No,
0: that's your yes. where. Where are you bringing that from?
1: That's what I see on screen. That that's is what not it, what you they see explain on screen. It to me. That's what Egon says, basically, that they're feeding off each other. Well, that's nonsense. And Egon is a scientist, and he it's should a have not movie about ghost busting. A lot of it's nonsense, but it doesn't not work. Is my point. People don't like the movie because they know that Bill Murray fucking hates it. Number one. Number two is that a painting is not threatening, and the Statue of Liberty is a complete ripoff and kind of ridiculous of the state-puck Marshall Man. That's the only reason people don't like it. But the movie is endlessly quotable. Everybody's funny in it.
0: Yeah, I present to you my alternate theory about Ghostbusters 2 that actually bridges a lot of the issues with the movie other than the Statue of Liberty. Do you know who the actual villain of Ghostbusters 2 is? Oh wait! Before I say that, them having the Titanic return was so fucking stupid. It was a great looking set piece. How is the slime interacting with a ship that was at the bottom of the Atlantic <laughs> Ocean, hundreds of miles I don't know. away?
1: Does that really bother you? Come yes, on, yes, it does. You can't get mad
0: about that. Okay, are you ready to funny, hear? Man. Who it's the just funny. Real villain of Ghostbusters. Uh,
1: well, we didn't even talk about Janosch. Well, Oha. it's funny that we Sorry, haven't
0: janosh is the actual villain here's what happened janosh is from the country where yeah he's carpathian just like vigo he's from where vigo is he knows about vigo he knows the legend of the painting he starts working at the place he meets dana falls in love and he has nothing to do about it until one day when he stumbles across the river of slime and discovers that it's true power and the river of slime kind of infects him. And that's why in one scene that makes no sense, he's able to cross dress as a flying nanny and come and steal a baby
1: that's sitting on a ledge. See, that screenwriting to me is that how does Dana know where her baby's being taken? It was just some weird thing where Vigo sent this thing off to pick him up. But I never believed that to be him. Yeah, it's like, him. I just think it had his image.
0: That's no, all. it's him dressed
1: as a woman. But everything you say about Janos up to the point where he discovers the slime, obviously we don't see that on camera. That could be something. Maybe they thought of that. But I am with you is that he is from that country. He knows the legend about him, and that's why he brings that painting up. But it's only happenstance that it takes him over and that there's an actual evil presence in there. I don't think he knew that was going to happen, but I'm with you up until that point.
0: He brings the painting up because he wants to manipulate Vigo, who he knows, is a thousand years old and he doesn't know shit.
1: That's possible. It's just that Janos is so scared of him that I don't believe that.
0: I think he's excited. Now
1: you could say that could just be a ploy of his to to subvert Vigo, but I just don't see that on camera.
0: So he makes the deal with Vigo. You can get the baby. And by you getting the baby, I will get the woman. Once you're in that little baby, he offs the baby. (laughs) Vigo's dead. It makes a lot more sense that he's manipulating things and the slime coming out at the very beginning of the movie. It makes sense because Mm -hmm. he is manipulating the slime. He wants it to go after Dana. Anyway, that's my theory about Ghostbusters 2. (laughs) Thank you, everyone. That's all. uh, Yeah. I mean, these movies have been
1: talked about over and over and over. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine for us not to go beat by beat. Uh, I just, I love the sequel, man. Sometimes I feel like watching that one more than the original, just because I like that they're already in business. We can already jump to the comedy and the lines. And that's what I like about watching the sequel is that the lines, man. I mean, what they say is just, it never fails to make me laugh. So that's kind of what always has popped out to
0: me more than any story problems. I really like the court scene. It's one of my favorites. And it talks about both of these movies, How effectively they use music. What were an example before the 80s of movies using popular music like that? I mean, I know there's some. Maybe it's just modern music that I'm thinking about. I also do love the soundtrack to uh, Ghostbusters 2. I think I had
1: it on cassette. But like Bobby Brown's song. Well, I guess we're gonna... Have to take control. Love that song. I was never a super fan of Ray Parker Jr.'s Ghostbusters song. Like it just seemed a little too corny to my for my taste, and it does not fit the movie. But somehow they make it work. You just go along with it. Yeah, because the soundtrack in the first one. I mean, they got like this jazzy, hip y thing going on sometimes. Uh, almost like a crooner type of feel to it sometimes with the piano, and then they throw in this Ray Parker Jr. pop song. (laughs) I guess they originally asked Huey Lewis to do a song. Because they had used his song "I Want a New Drug" as kind of a uh, placeholder, but he was busy doing Back to the Future. Then Ray Parker Jr. makes a song "Ghostbusters," which sounds like "I Want a New Drug" uh, in the B. If you if you listen to Huey Lewis in the news is "I Want a New Drug," you'll hear Ghostbusters in there, really. And then Huey Lewis sued him later, saying you stole my song. But the funny part is then Huey, so then they came to a resolution with the court case. He, Huey Lewis got paid some sort of amount. But there was also like a uh, ruling that you can't talk about it anymore or how much you got paid or whatever. And then Huey Lewis did an interview years, like 10 or 20 years later, talking about it. And then
0: Ray Parker Jr. sued him
1: (laughs) because he wasn't supposed to talk about it. And then I think he
0: won in a settlement. That's funny. There's a mythical longer cut of this movie that changes the story a lot. Who knows if it actually exists? I don't know if this has ever been released either. So who knows if it exists Uh, Eugene Levy was originally in this movie helping them escape the... Yeah,
1: I've seen those deleted scenes.
0: The Eugene Levy? Yeah, it's
1: on YouTube. You can find it? it uh like Lewis is just like come on you got to help me out like he's in a break room of the insane asylum talking to Eugene Levy and I think cuz like, I think like, it's trying trying his cousin his or something, or something. Yeah. yeah and he's just like I can't do this for you blah 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 blah. And they're both just nerds going back and forth that was really it but it would it would have been cool to see him in the movie one yeah. of those cameos you know another famous cameo i love when they go to the insane asylum i love that Pete Vankman is has that psychic show you know and then the guy at the museum is like oh i love it world of the psychic yeah it was one of my two favorite shows what's the other one Bassmasters. <laughs> I think that's my comedy, man. I just fucking love that comedy throughout the movie. And it is like, I'm telling you, every 10 to 15 seconds, there's just another great line. And that, more than anything, has always stood out to me about this movie, where I'm just like, if you say you hate Ghostbusters 2, you are denying yourself the comedy from all these great actors throughout the whole fucking thing. Even if the movie doesn't work for you, it's super funny. And, I mean,
0: yeah, these guys were amazing. These guys were iconic creators of awesomeness in the 80s.
1: Right, and if you deny
0: yourself Ghostbusters 2, what else is there then with these
1: guys? You get Groundhog Day with Ramis and and Murray, although Murray is the only one in it, and that's it. Like, none of these other guys, there's no other movie with these guys together if you give up on Ghostbusters 2.
0: Like, don't let it go is what I tell people. You got nothing else with these guys. Like, that was their heyday. Yeah, together. We would have never had all this awesomeness on the screen at the same time. But separately, they were still awesome. Like, these. Yeah, but what did Aykroyd really do after that? Like, there wasn't really much. It feels like we haven't had a group in a specific decade that have pioneered comedy as much. I mean, nowadays we've got Apatow, but like, Reitman on his own worked with these guys. I mean, Reitman is responsible for Meatballs, Stripes, Ghostbusters. Twins, Ghostbusters 2, Kindergarten Cop, Dave, Jr., and then it kind of drifts off, but that's fine.
1: Uh, I gotta give Evolution another watch, because I remember trying it out, being really excited for the Ghostbusters director, but I could just not get into it.
0: His last movie, I'm a huge fan of, and I've watched a billion times, Draft Day. I know, you're a big fan of that, aren't you? I know, and I don't know why, like, it's just damn good.
1: You know who Reitman is? Uh, he reminds me of, um... Sam Raimi, like they feel like they have a similar kind of filmography where they can do their bizarre supernatural movies, but then they can also do a, a baseball movie. Because <laughs> didn't Raimi do For Love of the Game? Wasn't that his movie? Yeah,
0: but that one, I think that has a more checkered past for him. I don't know if he had as much control. Gotcha.
1: Still, these are just great directors that once like the cool directors came out in the 90s. All these guys seemed like they couldn't um, measure up anymore, and I just think that's really unfair. You know, like, Reitman and Landis. But somehow,
0: like, Scorsese and Spielberg still stood out as the masters. Uh, What happened to John McTiernan? He he hasn't made a movie in a long time, and I think he's out of the joint. I don't know. But Ackroyd. He does 1941, Blues Brothers, Dr. Detroit? I don't recognize that. Trading Places, Twilight Zone the movie, Ghostbusters makes a little appearance in Indiana Jones, uh, Spies Like Us, Dragnet, The Great Outdoors... Caddyshack 2, he's Driving Miss Daisy, Ghostbusters 2. Yeah, his 80s are solid. He's got My Girl in 90s, Sneakers, which is amazing. But My Girl didn't play to his strengths at all.
1: I know. He was just a dad role.
0: My Girl 2, Canadian Bacon, Tommy Boy. Oh, Tommy Boy.
1: That's true. That's got to be his last great movie. Gross
0: Point Blank, he's great in. Okay, maybe that one. Blues Brothers, 2000... That's definitely his worst movie. <laughs> I'm definitely a fan. We know this. Go watch that episode. Between 98 and 2003, there's a bunch of stuff, but it's all nothing that I heard of.
1: So before Afterlife, the last appearance of Ray Stance, do you know where that's from? No. Casper. The Bill Pullman, Christina Ricci movie.
0: Which I loved. Christina Ricci, I loved there's her. There's a
1: little cameo where after they realize there's Casper's in their house, uh, they cut to like a day or so later and here comes Ray Stance running out in the Ghostbusters uniform, running out of the house, being like, don't call me again. I can't help you. And then he drives away, which is totally out of character because he
0: wouldn't ever say that, you know, he would, he would have, he would have caught Casper. No problem. Yeah. It's on his filmography too. That's so funny. Let's switch over to Ramus because I don't think Ramus. I mean, Ramus gets love, but I don't feel like he gets enough love from the general public.
1: Well, nobody knew the quality he did unless they saw him on screen. So, you know, after the 80s, you didn't really
0: know. But he was always behind the scenes at the same time, which was the awesome part. He was always a writer. He was always making movies. Just the movies he directed. Caddyshack. First movie. Crazy. National Lampoon's Vacation. Crazy classic. Have never heard of Club Paradise. American comedy film director starring Robin Williams, Twiggy, Peter O'Toole, and Jimmy Cliff. Uh, then he does fucking groundhog day by the way he takes seven years off well he was busy being egon and running yeah Ghost it's Blazers. true
1: yeah stewart saves his family now that is definitely doing something for a friend
0: <laughs> yeah that's definitely doing something for a friend <laughs> then he makes multiplicity and then he does analyze this and just you yep, that classic. was definitely his
1: re I think, reemergence onto the scene as being, oh, it's Harold Ramis. you know, when people started to kind of know him as a director was because of Analyze This.
0: Uh, Bedazzled, I, that's a great movie. Brendan Fraser is great in it. And then you kind of forget Elizabeth Hurley exists. You see her in this movie and you're like, why wasn't she a bigger star? She had Austin Powers and Bedazzled, and that was probably about it. Uh, and then he makes Analyze That, and then he mm-hmm. makes The Ice Harvest, which I've never seen. I've never seen either, but I heard it's pretty good. Neo-noir, black comedy... Starring John Cusack, Billy Bob Thornton, and Connie Nielsen with Randy Quaid. Randy Quaid was in a lot of great movies before he went crazy. And then his last movie was Year One, which I've never watched. Which makes me want to watch it now that I know he directed it. I think it was garbage. I'm sure it was.
1: It's still Jack Black and Michael Cena. I'm sure there's plenty of fun times to be had, you know, amidst all the bullshit.
0: Then he died five years later. But yeah, so he wrote Animal's House, he wrote Meatballs, he wrote Stripes, he wrote Ghostbusters, he wrote Back to School, he wrote yeah. Armed and Dangerous, Caddyshack to Ghostbusters 2. Just ridiculous.
1: So I would have loved to see a Ghostbusters 3 in the 90s, and in my opinion, if Reitman didn't want to do it, I think that John Landis should have directed it, and it could have been Dan Aykroyd's script about how... Um, It was basically Stranger Things before Stranger Things. Like, he had an idea that there was, like, an upside-down world to Manhattan, and it was called Manhelton. It, like, overtook Manhattan, and they had to, like, would battle through it to, like, save the city or something like that. So that, that was his big idea for Ghostbusters 3. But in the 90s, I think they just deemed that the special effects weren't there and that it would cost too much money. And yet again... Murray didn't want anything to do with it. But that would have been the time I would have liked to see it cuz frankly I was happy with Afterlife being a franchise starter for these kids, but for me my love of the original Ghostbusters doesn't reach Afterlife. It would have re- it would have reached into the 90s and that pretty much would have been it. So anything after that, I just don't think would have worked as a Ghostbusters movie with those four guys.
0: See, the funniest part for me is like all of them, well at least Aykroyd and Ramos, were so fat in the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> and it but f- it wouldn't
1: have mattered, right? <laughs> it would not have mattered. Egon would have been a little weird. But the other guys, you wouldn't have cared. And Ernie Hudson uh, has always looked great. Like, everything could have come together. Oh, yeah. Being to a see dick. the four of them again. But imagine that Aykroyd does Ghost Point Blank and then immediately gets started on Ghostbusters 3 instead of Blues Brothers 2000. And they get John Landis, if Freightman didn't want to do it, to direct it. And Murray comes back because he wants to work with Landis. He, I don't think he'd ever done it before. And then Ernie Hudson's always game, of course. What else is he doing? Uh, and Sigourney Weaver, I mean, I think around that time she was doing the Alien Resurrection movie. But I don't think she was doing much... Aside from that, and Rick Moranis in the late 90s would have still been an active actor. So, holy shit, did they really fuck up and not make a third movie in the late 90s? I think that would have been a perfect time. Ten years later is what it
0: would have said. It feels like Ernie Hudson, and I haven't seen a lot of these movies, but it feels like he got relegated to bit part pretty quick. One, two, three, four, five, six. has six movies between Ghostbusters, and I don't recognize any of them necessarily. And then we have three years without a role, and then he's got a role in The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. There's two movies in between Hand That Rocks the Cradle and The Crow. And we know okay. The Crow is not a starring role for him either.
1: No, but he was great in it. And man, does that movie look awesome. That's another oh. one of my favorite looking movies.
0: They've finished production on the reboot. We'll see how that goes.
1: Oh, really? Who's starring in the reboot? You know?
0: no. Oh, no, I do know this because I made a joke about him. One uh, of Stellan Scargar's kids... Skarsgard's kids. Oh, and guys. on Twitter I put like how many <laughs> fucking kids does Stellan Skarsgard have? Because I guess he just has two, right? I have never heard of a Ben Skarsgard. No, I don't, I don't know. He has there's the eight. one that was
1: it, the one that was the clown in it. Yeah. And then there's the one that's the attractive um true blood guy, right? And he's Ben Tarzan and he's the one that shows yeah. up with the what's eight his six name? pack of yeah. abs or whatever. Yeah. But he has Alexander.
0: Eight kids. Oh
1: shit. Yeah. They're like the new Hemsworths. It's it's
0: yeah it's that idea where one is
1: really popular and then the other ones are kind of diminishing returns. Yeah, so we have. Although a I would new say one. that Alexander Skarsgård seems to get a lot of work, and also his brother, who's in it, he seems. Isn't to work it Bill pretty. Skarsgard? Is it Bill? Yeah, it is Bill. But mm-hmm. he's also caked in makeup a lot too. So.
0: And this one's Ben Skarsgard is going to be him, and then he's in something. No else. shit. Interesting. I Had no idea. Anyway, I don't know. You know, they've made so many of those movies.
1: It's like, who cares about a reboot? Just make another sequel and maybe it'll be good. I don't know. I uh,
0: reboot it. I don't, I don't get it. This is something funny for me. One, two, three. I'm counting the movies that Ernie Hudson's been in since Ghostbusters One, 2. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 9 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. 22, 23, 24, 25. Okay, I'm just going to stop there. 25 movies until the year 2000, all right? Now I'm going to count how many times he plays a cop in those 25. Uh, does major count? That could be a cop. <laughs> no, that's generally with the military. I okay, cop a or military officer. One, two. Uh, Senator doesn't count. Detective, three. Reverend doesn't count. CIA agent, four. DE agent, Five. Captain 6, Sergeant O'Malley 7, Officer Sam 8, Sergeant 9, a vet. That just counts. 10. So 10 out of his 25, he's typecast as a cop or a military guy. And three other times he's played president or senator or reverend. It just feels like he hasn't gotten... Oh, that's just due after, two. Detective, FBI agent, FBI agent, principal... FBI assistant, museum guard, Sergeant Bill, Captain Morgan, (laughs) Detective Carter, Deacon Harold, FBI special agent, sheriff, Catholic priest. Wow, he does a lot of religious roles. Professor Lord Vater, but it's V-A-T-E-R. Isn't this what actors
1: want though? They want to pretend to be other people with cool jobs, detective. Like, isn't, that, isn't that it? Pastor, like, you want to be a cop. Ever since he was a child, he probably wanted to be a cop. Like judge,
0: uncle. That one's a, he's an uncle.
1: Well, if you now if you go through Bill Murray's filmography and say what he was, it's going to sound pretty lame, right?
0: Camp counselor, uh, private. Well, uh, doctor. Uh, <laughs> I'm pulling most of those up because most uh, of the weatherman. Time. I like pointing those out with bit actors because most of the time it's uh there's that's before he's famous. Hunter S. Thompson, Lefty, there's Private. I mean Dr. Peter Vinkman doesn't count, but it could. He's a doctor.
1: He has uh look, he has a degree, he has a doctorate in psychology and parapsychology. I'm putting Dr. And now you catch ghosts. Is that correct? And um, how many ghosts have you caught? I'm not at liberty to say. And where do you keep these ghosts? In a storage facility? I probably could like talk the whole ghostbusters movie from memory <laughs> okay so many times <laughs> so bill
0: murray has if you don't include them including daughter dr peter Vankman, he mm-hmm. has uh private in stripes the writer in a, right. the movie the lost city yeah. and then the businessman in the Darjeeling limited agent yeah. 13 and get smart that's it we're talking <laughs> ghostbusters too. that was great follow us on all the things tell your grandmas about us um anything you want to add to our adoring public what's your favorite what's your favorite line from one of the ghostbusters let's end with that hmm favorite line from ghostbusters peter look out!" no i don't know. <laughs> i don't have a favorite line
1: <laughs> my favorite line one the one that i always think about is in ghostbusters 2 when they're in dana's kid's room and egon says it's very cheerful my parents didn't believe in toys Which is funny. And then they come back to him and Aykroyd's like, you didn't even have a slinky? And he says, we had part of a slinky, but I straightened it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that was funny. I always remember that line, actually, because I've tried to figure out how you would do that. Um, Yeah. There's a great thing in Ghostbusters 2 where Dana says, I'm going to put the baby down. Peter says, can I? And then he starts to insult the baby, like put him down. I just thought that was great. Terrible burden on your mother. Uh, God damn there's so many lines man I love that but Yeah good movie you should watch it Even though it doesn't make a lick of goddamn sense It's still fun I'd like to do some gynecological tests on the mother And he's like who wouldn't <laughs> In the first Ghostbusters When they send him to check out her house Or he volunteers to go yeah. check out her house It's so inappropriate He is a yeah. stranger oh, in absolutely. her house yeah. And she Only called Only in the 80s could you get away with this oh, Only if you're God. Bill Murray could you get away with this
1: I'm going to take Dana back to her apartment and check her out I'm going to check out Miss Barrett's apartment. <laughs> she's like, okay.
0: <laughs>
1: and Lewis when they have him strapped to the same thing later on like he's cuz they, you know, they're they're it's quality filmmaking here. They show Dana's brain scan or whatever, her head scan on the monitor when she's first there and it just looks like Dana. But then when they have Lewis hooked up to it later on in the movie he's the dog yes like his brain scan is the dog like it's just brilliant but they just go by it it's just something for the audience to see and that's why you guys just like oh something weird going on here you know it's so clever yeah uh the jackie wilson music in the sequel i love that um but you know it's like a statue of liberty walking is silly
0: but when you put murray up there just being funny it works for me I went through the deleted scenes, and one of the deleted scenes was them arguing about which way they should take her. There was supposedly a deleted scene that helped explain how the hell they could get the Statue of Liberty to move. It's
1: on a giant thing, number one. So it would have to get down, and then it would have to walk off the island, go into the water, walk back. So, but at the end of the movie, they show like a celebration for the Ghostbusters, and it's back where obviously the statue's <laughs> back where it was.
0: Like, so then they had to walk it back. Well,. <laughs> My biggest problem with that is it's a statue that yeah. doesn't have joints right. or moving. Well, that parts. was what Aykroyd
1: said is that he thought it would be funny to take something that's usually immobile and make it move. That was just his in his brain. Like, why not? fuck you man i know it's out of control it's stupid and out of control but it was still funny
0: and they got their payday
1: and murray are always funny so i'm just like whatever you
0: know because even though the movie didn't do original numbers it still pulled in like two what 240 yeah
1: it was great it did
0: it did well enough but it's like when you
1: have such an amazing hit and then you don't equal the amazing hit everybody's like it was a failure yeah that was very trump it's failure and tremendous failure
0: just so we're on the same page uh (laughs) ladies and gentlemen we are following our standard rules on this podcast we are a sequel podcast rules um oh yeah right and so we will not be covering the 2016 ghostbusters film not because we don't like it and i don't really because i think it's kind of a failure on the director's part but because it does not take place in the same universe it's not a sequel it's a reboot and yeah yeah, I do
1: love the effects in that movie, though. I think the ghosts and everything looks amazing. They look I, great.
0: I just can't connect to the people. No. Like they, it has a better look
1: than Afterlife does. Like they made the movie look really good. Yeah, it's a well-made movie, I just... and it follows the originals better than the sequel than Afterlife does, in my opinion. But it's not. It wasn't it's funny engaging to me like
0: people talk about the expectations on that movie and if they had done a more traditional reboot where they had had the characters follow in the established archetypes mm-hmm. of the original characters yeah if i use that word correctly i don't know if i did but um like if they had done an egon and done a ray and donna peter they made it look like they were doing that
1: but everybody was bill murray right that's what I'm saying. They looked like they were trying to do that. Like here, we're setting up the pieces with all the girls are going to be these different characters. But then they were all given carte blanche to improvise to all the hell. So they all turned into Bill Murray, to, into Venkman. No, in what's her comedy. name
0: was totally, totally Ernie Hudson.
1: Yeah, but her comedy is not Hudson. Hudson wasn't the joke master. Yeah. Hudson was the down to earth blue collar guy that came in that wasn't going to put up with their bullshit, was just going to do the job. She didn't play it that way. She tried to improv and do all this funny stuff that just wasn't funny. Falling down, hello, Leslie Jones and Melissa McCarthy. It's not that funny,
0: and it doesn't belong
1: in a Ghostbusters movie.
0: We've talked about this before, where Leslie Jones is incredibly one note, in my opinion, and she only has one speed. And she has a good speed. But she's funny. Yeah. Right. She can be funny, but it did not fit this movie. But yeah, there is absolutely no range. With the other three, it was Kate McKenna, was supposed to be the Egon, right? McKinnon. Yeah, with a Gun.
1: Only in appearance, though. Only in appearance. Her comedy
0: was still Vankman. McCarthy was in theory supposed to be the Ackroyd. Yeah. And then Kristen Wig, in theory, supposed to be the Vankman. And yeah, those three were just kind of the same character over and mm. over and over. It's because,
1: as we've mentioned in past podcasts, improv movies only work one out of ten times. Mm-hmm. and Ghostbusters improv movie, if a lot of it was improv, that's lightning in a bottle. That was the one out of ten times that it worked. Yeah. And Paul Feige, or not Paul Feige, yeah. that's Kevin Feige, Paul Feig, yeah. right? Or Feig? Yeah. Feig, 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 yeah. He has made his career off of improv, Yeah. and it worked in Bridesmaids, but it hasn't really worked anywhere
0: else. And see, isn't that funny, because Kristen Wiig is the reason that Bridesmaids worked. I don't think there was any way for that movie to work
1: because if you try to reboot all the characters and make the same movie just for modern audiences, it's a failure like they tried to do. But if you also try to do a new Ghostbusters movie without any of those characters, it's also kind of a failure too because nobody wants to see that. So I don't know how you can do it. So, doing Afterlife the way Reitman did Afterlife kind of makes sense that he had to even take it out of New York and just make something completely new. But I still just didn't
0: like it that much. And we will get into that next episode. Yeah. So, until then, this has been Justin and Aaron. And I hope you enjoyed us sequels. talking about sequels. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get out of here. I'm sick of talking to you, and I got to go do some plumbing at I'm my mom's. So sick of talking. Uh, bye, everybody. Have a great day. Thanks. Bye.